Well, you may notice that there is a bit less of an echo today, um, and that is because I forgot to bring my recording device with me to Mass this weekend, and so I'm recording this Monday morning uh, in my rectory. So that is why, first of all, there's a delay in getting it up online, and second of all, it probably is a little better sound quality. But anyway, here we go. Are you envious because I am generous? I think I like this line in scripture so much because it's just a great one-liner. Even though Jesus uses it in the context of a parable, can't you just imagine saying it to someone in an argument? Like if you were to use this in an argument and you use it correctly, there's really no coming back from that. Go ahead. Use it on your spouse the next time you're having an argument. As an unmarried man, I can only imagine that it will go just wonderfully for you guys and not cause any further problems. But seriously, this line, are you envious because I am generous, seems just like a conversation ender where you walk away knowing that you won the argument. And it's such a witty line because it not only makes you look good, but the other person looks bad. It's just quite the one-liner from Jesus but it's saturated with tough love. Now, I have a friend, Kate, and sometime last year, her and I were talking, and she coined the phrase that we refer to all the time now as sassy Jesus. Now, she said that because she told me that in prayer, something to the effect of, Jesus was being really sassy with me today. And we thought it was hilarious, so we always reference it now uh, when the Lord is being quite sassy with us in prayer and, and giving us a dose of tough love. But I think, are you envious because I am generous, is one of the most sassy lines that Jesus has in all of scripture. And isn't this the way that Jesus speaks to all of us sometimes? Isn't that what we need to hear in prayer sometimes? It's nice, of course, to have those fuzzy, warm, wonderful, loving moments in prayer, but if you've ever been in any sort of relationship or even just had friendships, you know that sometimes you have to be quite direct with people to help them the most. So while I think everyone looks for those moments of consolation and prayer, some of the most fruitful moments and some of the most life-changing moments are the times in prayer when Jesus gets pretty sassy with us. Sometimes we need a little tough love from him to help us understand things better. Now, it would be a mistake if we thought that the Lord only became witty and kind of sassy in the New Testament. Listen to our first reading from Isaiah when it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. The Lord is basically telling us, through the prophet Isaiah, that we are not as smart as he is. There's no way that we can see the whole picture. God does not behave the way we think he should behave. He does what he wants, when he wants, and he does it because he knows that to be the best in all situations, and the frustrating part is that he doesn't really consult us or ask our opinions. That may sound a little harsh, but it's the truth. Because sometimes we can think that we know what justice is. We think we know what fairness is. But we have no idea because we judge situations from a worldly point of view. We do not see everything from the cosmic or the eternal perspective like God does. So while we think we know what justice is, sometimes we have no idea. Now, speaking of justice, 
Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away recently. And let me share with you exactly how the Catholic Church feels about this. We are so sad at her passing, and we pray for the repose of her soul. Now why do I say that? Because the Catholic Church respects the inherent dignity that every single human being has just by the fact that they were created by God. And so any time that anyone dies, we mourn them and we pray for them. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg often found herself in opposition to the Catholic Church and her teachings, but this does not mean that we pray for the repose of her soul any less. If you liked her and her judicial rulings over the many years that she worked for the U.S. judicial system, then you pray for her as a loss to humanity as a whole. If you found yourself disliking her as a person because of her judicial beliefs and her rulings, then you pray for her as your enemy, because Jesus calls us to pray for our enemies. So either way, we pray for her and that God's mercy would outweigh his justice as she stands before judgment, the earthly judge before the eternal judge. Maybe one day we will see her in heaven if we make it. Maybe we won't. But we know that God's justice is absolute, and his mercy is his greatest attribute. And that's what the point of the gospel parable is. The laborers who are picked in the beginning of the day think that they deserve more payment than those who were picked in the very last hour of the day, because to them, that seems fair. And by a human metric, that's absolutely true. If I work eight hours and you work one, then I should get paid more than you. But that is human justice. Now, Jesus is not rolling out his national economic strategy in today's gospel, but he is speaking about the kingdom of God and about salvation. He wants us to know that his justice is perfect, and that if he decides to grant salvation to someone on their deathbed, that person gets the same reward that we, who have struggled to live a Christian life for decades, gets. His justice is not our justice. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So while we can look at people who find salvation at the end of their lives and have deathbed conversions, and we can be jealous or envious because they got to live however they wanted to live their entire life, and then at the end skate by by the Lord's grace, we should never think that it's unfair. Because here's the thing, none of us knows when we are going to die. So if the plan is to wait for the deathbed and then accept Christ and his church into our lives, that is the biggest gamble possible. Each of us could walk away from this church today and find that this is the last day that we are ever alive. None of us are planning on that, but the possibility exists that this is the very last mass that we will ever attend. This is why the church tells us in her wisdom that we should stay close to the sacraments, frequent confession and reception of the Eucharist, so that we set ourselves up so that no matter what day is our last day, when we go before judgment, we will hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. None of us wants to gamble that we will worry about salvation later before we die, because the possibility exists that death comes for us like a thief in the night, when we are unprepared, 
And instead of hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant, we might hear Jesus say something very sassy to us about how we lived our entire life the way we wanted to. So now in eternity, he will give us exactly what we chose during our lives. That would be an eternity separated from God, which the church has always referred to as hell. My brothers and sisters, may we live lives according to Christ and his church, staying close to the sacraments, praying for those that we like and those that we dislike, that no matter when death comes for us, we are prepared to meet it valiantly and confidently, trusting in the Lord's mercy and in his justice, so that we wouldn't hear, Are you envious because I am generous? As others enter into the kingdom of heaven, but not us. But rather, may we all hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant.